Well, good morning. Lord, now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. So you're between a rock and a hard place. Your, your spouse wants you to do one thing, uh, and your work or your parent wants you to do something else. Or, or imagine this, you, your boss who you work with every day asks you to work on a specific project. Your boss's boss, who pops in a couple of times a year, really doesn't know what's going on, uh, tells you to ignore it, do something else. What do you do? What do you do when you're faced with conflicting obligations? How do you sort out what to do? Ultimately, the question is, to whom are you accountable? Just about every day we face questions of priority, don't we? Uh, to whom do you answer? Once you've got that clarified, it's, it's usually obvious what you have to do. It's maybe not easy, but it's usually pretty clear once you get that sorted out. It's that way at work, isn't it? It's that way at home, and it's certainly that way spiritually. It's, it's always been that way. In fact, as we're going to see today um, in a story in Acts chapter 5, as we're working our way through our, the book of Acts, we come to a story where the, the, the apostles, they, they come to a crossroad where they're being pulled different ways, and they have to make a choice. So would you please turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We'll be going through it on the screen behind. Beginning at uh, verse 17, and we'll work our way through the rest of the chapter. Now, to set the table a little bit, in verses 12 through 16, right before this story, the apostles are performing miracles. You know, people are being healed, the Holy Spirit's working in, in a powerful way, um, the influence of the church is growing. People are responding to faith in Jesus Christ. So that's great. That's a good thing. But, but yet there are people who are not happy about this development. In response to seeing so many sick people experience healing, and so many people find life and purpose and forgiveness in Jesus, verse 17 says this, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. Now, this is a sad commentary, isn't it? The, the high priest is worked up because hurting people are being healed. Well, what's going on here? Well, the Sadducees, we often hear about the Pharisees. They were, they were sort of the they were super ultra-conservative religious leaders of the day. You know, conserve our way of life, uh, adhere to the law, and then some... But the Sadducees, they were the opposite. They were the religious, you know, kind of liberals of the day. Uh, they valued rationalism and ritualism, and they did not believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. Uh, they controlled the finances regarding the temple sacrifices, so they were more upper class, upper class income. And we look through the Gospels, we see the Pharisees, they were the, they were the dominant group that, that attacked Jesus. But in, in the rest of the New Testament, the Sadducees tend to be the ones who take aim at the followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what happens here. Verse 18. They arrested apostles and put them in the public prison. So uh, the previous chapter, they arrest uh, Peter and, um, and, and John. They throw them in prison. But, but here they arrest all 12. Why? Because their previous attempt didn't work. It's a story as old as time, isn't it? People in power are threatened by those disrupting the status quo. 
they try nuance, they try um, suggestions, they ramp up their pressure. If that doesn't work, they harass, they intimidate to try to get this, the disruptors to shut up and cease. But, but it doesn't work in this case. Why? Because these disruptors, they've known and experienced the risen Jesus Christ. And I love what happens next in, in verse 19, where it says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Now, angels, it's kind, of, it's kind of ironic, isn't it, that the Sadducees don't believe in angels, and God uses an angel as a, as a, to deliver the apostles, all 12 of them, out of prison? We see angels as messengers of God uh, throughout the book of Acts. Uh, an angel brings a message to an Ethiopian in chapter 8. An angel brings a message to Cornelius in chapter 10. An angel is involved in freeing Peter from prison in Acts chapter 12. And so here we see again an angel from the Lord comes and delivers them from, from prison. But he also reminds them that with their freedom comes a responsibility. Freedom in Christ always comes with a responsibility. In this sense, it comes with a, with a mission. Because the angel tells them, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the works of this life, all the works of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. And the first two letters of the gospel are what? G-O. Go. Go, Jesus said. Make disciples of all nations. And the first part of chapter 20 or verse 21, the apostles then immediately obey without hesitation. Where it says, and when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So as soon as it comes, the sun comes up, the temple is open and they begin to talk about Jesus. Hundreds of people would have showed up to, uh, to gather for morning sacrifices and for morning prayers and for worship. And, and the disciples, the intimidation doesn't work. In fact, it seems to have emboldened them and, and, and set their resolve. Let's continue. In verse 21 they still don't have a clue, the Sadducees, that the apostles are no longer in prison. It says, Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the sin of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to share them together. So the Sanhedrin, which was like the, the Jewish Supreme Court, along with the Senate, all these powerful and influential men, they asked the bailiffs, Okay, now bring them before us. Let's see if our intimidation worked. And night in jail changed their minds. But then we read in verse 22. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when they opened them, we found no one inside. The idea is that the guards hadn't left their post all night long. All night long. They were standing alert. They had no idea that their prisoners were gone. So we don't know how this happened. Maybe the angel um, kind of guided them past and sealed them. So they weren't seen or maybe transported them through walls or we, we don't know, but they're, they're gone. And the guards had no idea. And they report the news in verse 24. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And then somebody comes running in with the news. Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. This can't be left standing. They have to do something about this. The people saw them arrest them the day before. They've, they've rebelled. They've, they've stood up to them. They can't allow us to stand. And so we see in verse 26. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Isn't that interesting? 
The apostles had an option. They could have, uh, they could have appealed to the people for help. They probably would have responded, it sounds like. They could have resisted. But they went willingly. They trust that God is in this situation. And so here they are now finally standing in this room with 71 justices, which would have made up the Sanhedrin, in this big courtroom, and it was meant to be intimidating. And we read in verses 27 and 28. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, it's ironic that the religious leaders accused the apostles of, of bringing this man's blood upon them. Because in Matthew 27, remember the story? You have Pilate before the people with Barabbas in Jesus. Pilate doesn't want to have anything to do with this. He thinks Jesus has done nothing wrong, but he wants to straddle the fence. He's trying to please the crowd. So he throws it back to them. Who do you want free? Barabbas, this convicted killer, or Jesus? Remember the people's response? His blood be on us and on our children. And so while the apostles are being attacked and interrogated, they experience the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made in Matthew 10, where Jesus predicted this. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in this honor, in that, in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So instead of shutting down, no doubt Peter and the apostles, they remember Jesus' teaching, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they give a courageous response. They make a choice. We must obey God rather than men. And Peter goes on to say, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And then Peter circles back to the identity and task of every Christian. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. That's the story. So we've worked our way through the, the details of this story. But now let's let the, the text work through us and walk through us so that we can live it out. So here are, are some things for you to think about to put into play. The first is persevere. Persevere when persecution comes. It's not really a matter of if persecution or pushback comes because of your faith. It's a matter of when it comes. John, Jesus told us in John 15 not to be surprised when suffering comes. He said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they also will you. Peter picks up this theme in 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. And the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, we often talk about persecution in our culture, in our world, in our nation, and there's degrees of that. We get pushed back. We may get resistance. We don't maybe always like how things are going in the world. We don't like some of the values that are developing or coming to the surface. But we don't experience persecution like the majority of the Christians do, or brothers and sisters in Christ do around the world. We can learn from them. 
We can be inspired by them. Recently, for example, Pastor Wang Yi, who's a Chinese pastor, was sentenced to nine years in prison. And his congregation is one of the most influential unregistered churches in China. And it was shut down during a series of government raids. Government raids. And after he was arrested, the church released his declaration of faithful disobedience. I firmly believe that Christ has called me to carry out this faithful disobedience through a life of service under this regime that opposes the gospel and persecutes the church. This is the means by which I preach the gospel, and it is the mystery of the gospel which I preach. So the question for us, what we can learn is, when push comes to shove, when the rubber meets the road, when the heat is turned up, who are you ultimately accountable to? Is it God? Is it to other people? Who will you obey? Will it be God or others around us? Second thing is trust God to do the impossible. Jesus said in Luke 18, what is impossible with human beings is is possible with God. You know, throughout, as we read through the book of Acts, we see supernatural intervention after supernatural intervention as God propels his purposes forward. Trust God to do the impossible. So are there any prison doors you're longing for God to open in your life? Do you feel like you've hit a dead end? Are you carrying burdens God has not designed you to carry? Does your marriage feel hopeless? Are you concerned about your children? Are you struggling financially? It's time to trust God to do what only he can do. I'm reminded of Ephesians 3, where Apostle Paul wrote this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think, more than we can ask or think, more than we can imagine, According to the power at work within us, what's that power? The power of the risen Christ. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Trust God to do the impossible. To open doors. To set free. And remember, with freedom comes great responsibility. Next, obey God no matter how difficult it is. 1 Samuel 15 says, to obey is better than sacrifice. We can do all sorts of religious activities. We can make charitable donations. We can show up. We can serve. But the scripture tells us to obey is better than those things. Not that we're not supposed to do those things, but to obey is the better choice, the better option. James 1 says we are to be both hearers and doers of the word. Jesus said strongly in John 14, If anybody loves me, he or she, they will keep my word. If we love the Lord, we will live out what he commands. This week I read a post that said, Don't pursue your dreams. Pursue obedience. In other words, it's more important to be obedient to God's leading than to follow our own leanings. The apostles chose to obey God, even if it meant being put in prison. In whatever of your life do you need to grow in your obedience? Are you trying to ride the fence regarding faith? Have you been trying to play both sides, so you're one way here, a totally different person over here? Obey God no matter how difficult it can be. Next, witness wherever you go. 
One reason the early church experienced so many conversions is because Christians lived on mission. They went to the person across the street. They went to their co-workers. They went to their friends and family. And they stood. They stood their ground. They stood up for what they believed. They, they lived out what they believed. And when they had opportunity, they, they spoke the message, the words, the life of Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of what God said to Paul in Acts 18. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. And finally, this one is, is more focused outside of our life and our, and our church walls and our surrounding world. It's pray for the persecuted. Pray for the persecuted. You know, by the time that you go to sleep tonight, eight people around the world will have died for their devotion to follow Jesus Christ on average. Four years ago, Open Doors Ministries which tracks religious activities and persecution in closed countries, countries where it's illegal to share about Christ or strongly discouraged to share about Christ. They published the following statistics. More than 260 million Christians, one out of every eight believers, experienced high levels of persecution. In 2019, almost 9,500 houses of worship were attacked. In 2019, over 3,700 Christians were detained without trial or sentenced and imprisoned. And just under 3,000 followers of Christ were killed for faith-related reasons. The number one request from those who are persecuted is for us to pray for them. Listen to Apostle Paul's prayer while he was going to persecution in 2 Thessalonians 3. Finally, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. And he will establish and guard you against the evil one. The Sadducees thought they could shut down the spread of the gospel by arresting and jailing and intimidating the apostles. But it backfired. Every time they tried to intervene and stop it, it gained more steam. And throughout history... There have been rulers and authorities who have tried to extinguish Christianity only to discover their efforts serve to make the gospel spread faster. It's happening all over the world today. Places like China and Iraq and Iran where the persecution is the greatest, the gospel is spreading the fastest. But why? Because whenever Christians put God first and whenever they choose to obey him, no matter the circumstances or the consequences, the gospel spreads People are pointed to Jesus. People come to faith in Jesus. So a few closing questions. Where in your life is God calling you to greater obedience? Remember, God desires obedience more than sacrifice. Where are you tempted to straddle the fence, trying to please people and trying to please God? Ultimately, the question is, to whom are you Accountable. When Peter and the apostles were faced with a choice, they replied, We must obey God rather than men. What will be your choice? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we, we need your help. 
because without the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives, without your truth being uh, a part of our, our daily routine, Lord, without your strength, we, we will fail over and over again. Lord, help us uh, to grow in our resolve to stand for you, to, to express your love and grace and truth and holiness, Lord, through our words and our actions. Lord, help us to, to choose you each and every day. Remember that you are the one to whom we must answer. Help us, Lord, to choose obedience, to choose you. We ask this, Lord, that it would be so through the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just stand as we